Hello, guys. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this, the Not the Top 20 podcast. Really milking this introduction after George rudely interrupted me last Monday when we spoke to you. Uh, this is a post Easter weekend podcast. Of course, it had to wait until Tuesday for us to record with games on Friday and on Monday. In fact, this is not ideal even so because we've got two games in League One tonight. So you'll have to forgive that we are not necessarily up to speed. Those games are important, of course, but certainly Championship and League Two-wise, we are bang up to speed. And we would like to run through the state of play, essentially. Isn't that right, George? We are at the stage of the season where, for some teams... It's kind of finished already. I think it's fair to assume that a lot of pe- lot of you listening probably had your eyes slightly off the ball this weekend. It was very, very sunny. Um, there were two game weeks on Friday and on Monday. So maybe we're just here just to, to fill you, you in a little bit as to what's happened, what the state of play is now in the leagues uh, and what we were impressed and not so impressed by. Genuinely, reading between the lines, that makes me think you just spent the whole weekend getting really pissed. Incorrect. <laughs> I uh, had a very important uh, slot on Sky Sports News this morning and uh, I think if I was hungover, my, my legs would shake even more than they do. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, it was a lovely weekend, but, okay. but, but not as you say. Before we get into the championship action, just to signpost something a little new and a little different, uh, I had the pleasure of talking with Hayley from the charity Mind. Uh, Mind is a mental health charity and it's also the EFL's charity partner for this season but also for next season it's a two-year partnership you will have seen of course the squiggle on the back of your team's uh, replica shirts on the names of the players that squiggle at the end that is to do with the charity mind and they do some fantastic work and I think that uh, the work that they do is relevant to everyone and what we wanted to do was to sit down with mind and have a chat about the season so far their partnership with the EFL the work that they do and really just to get their thoughts on how they help people uh, and how people can support them if they would like to so really really implore you um, to please please listen to that part of the podcast I think it's very important for the meantime we're going to start with the football Uh, of course we had two game weeks as mentioned at the top of the show and so it's difficult to go through individual games Uh, it's it's easier really to go through the state of play at the same time, I'm going to give a couple of clickbait headlines, George, at the top of each division. At the top of the championship, here are the teams that won six points over the weekend. Sheffield United, Aston Villa, Swansea, Blackburn and Wigan. Is, and here are the teams... a bit of a James Alexander-Gordon impression there. <laughs> <laughs> and here are the teams that won no points on the weekend. Leeds United, Hull City, QPR, Rotherham, Bolton... Ipswich Town. I turned X Factor there, didn't I? I turned X Factor. Uh, anyway, uh, you've slightly ruined that. But uh, those are the sort of uh, top and bottom headlines. But let's look at the top of the championship, George, because actually, from when we last sat down last Monday to talk about this stuff, plenty has changed. Yeah, I mean, a lot's changed, as you say. And, and Leeds are the team that have really missed out here. I'm not going to use the term bottle. Um, it's. My current thing is that some, somebody has to miss out. Um, but having said that, no points from a home game against Wigan and an away game against Brentford is not particularly good, especially when you consider that they were 1-0 up against 10-man Wigan at home. Wigan before that game had only won seven points on the road. So to lose that 
maybe is a bit of a bottle. <laughs> I was um, going to say. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's hard to argue anything else. But but the, the fact still remains. I mean, people talk about Tottenham's uh, bottling tendencies, but the you know it's ironic when it's normally teams who haven't got themselves in, in a position to do so because um, even if this season doesn't end in promotion for Leeds, there's no denying what Bielsa has done with a not particular... Well, I mean, they are a talented set of players, but by no means, in my opinion, one of the top three sets of players, uh, with, with the exception of one or two. So they were the team who missed out most, and Sheffield United were there to profit from it. Let um, me ask you about Leeds quickly. You, you say that they are not necessarily on paper uh, a top bunch of players for this division. Um, they were top of the division, though. Uh, yeah. a, 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 a stage of the season, midway through the season, uh, possibly beyond. So... What's happened since then? What is it to do with, with both their performances and results and maybe the, the, teams, the two teams above them now in Norwich and Sheffield United? How do you explain how they were at the top but, but haven't been able to, to continue that? I mean, there are a few like, obvious factors. Um, I mean, it's, I think Leeds fans would have been surprised to hear you say this at the beginning of the season, but, but Kimaru's injury, obviously, uh, not them a fair bit and, and their efficiency in front of goal has certainly struggled since then. Um, we often spoke of their very, very solid defence. I think that that defensive solidity has certainly waned since Christmas. Um, you know, they've lost nine games since Boxing Day, which is a pretty poor return. I mean, they have won 10, but, but of those and just the one draw. And, and if you're losing games at that rate, you're, you're conceding goals fairly quickly. Um, and certain players who are just performing at a level above uh, how they had done before, the likes, you know, the, the crucial one. I mean, the one that sticks out in my head is obviously Calvin Phillips. You don't go from being an average uh, championship centre midfielder to being the best centre midfielder in the league. Um, and that has been shown in the last few weeks as well. So it, it, there's a few things. But as I say, just because you're top at Christmas doesn't mean you're going to win the league. And, um, and Norwich and, and Sheffield United over the course of the season look like they're just going to stay better and, and have that killer instinct towards the end of the season to see it out. Just to be clear... Uh, Leeds are on 82 points, Sheffield United 85, Norwich 88, so three points between uh, each of them. Um, The reason why we're discussing this, George, as if it's basically done, right, is not only the fact that Sheffield United have uh, 11 uh, goals in hand in the sense that their goal difference is plus 35, Leeds is plus 24, but the fact that Sheffield United are playing Ipswich at home on the weekend, we are certainly saying, I think, this is done, right? The Leeds fans are saying this is done. Funny enough, it's the Sheffield United fans that I've spoken to who are saying, please don't jinx this. Yeah, and well, naturally, because even, you know, even if they get to just pick up a point on Saturday, that, that leads to squeaky bum time on, on closing day where they're going to need to have a win to, to secure it unless, unless Leeds really do falter before then. Um, and we've seen Ipswich this season. I mean, Ipswich are... I think we can probably say now one of the worst teams we've seen in the championship for, for a long time. Um, and never has that been more evident than on, than on Saturday. After, you know, a decent-ish run of, run of games. That well, sorry, what happened on Saturday? Because the sorry, games <laughs> on Friday Monday. And Monday. For what I mean, both. I've honest. been spending the whole weekend doing that. Both. I've been saying last weekend when I meant Friday, I when I meant like it, two days I ago. I even said on TalkSport 2 before the games. I said <laughs> looking forward to the game on Saturday. Um, but they... Uh, I mean, the Swansea game, it was just fairly catastrophic. And, you know, their best chance of the game came from a, a Goma scramble, including very little skill from any Ipswich players. It was kind of bouncing off all their legs as they tried to bring it down. They're very poor. But we have seen, at times this season, their best performances have come when, they're, when they've looked to be the party poopers, when they've looked to be the team to, uh, to end a winning run or, or to, to spoil a promotion charge. So, 
I mean, there's no doubt, and you know, given the size of the club and given the fact that they've they've had their relegation all but sealed for since you know the turn of the year, um, I don't think that they're going to roll over by any means. I think they're going to try and make it difficult for Sheffield United to to win the game. And but but having said that, I, I, I don't agree. By I the don't way. I don't they have the quality in any way, shape, or form to to make that work. But all, all I'd say is that we've seen enough games in the last six weeks eight weeks that Ipswich have managed to eke out a point against better opposition that they've got it in them for me this is the this is absolutely nailed on and it's not one <laughs> for the betting show because the odds on Sheffield United to win this the odds on Sheffield United to win this by multiple goals are uh, as you can imagine uh, not very attractive but I feel like we've almost seen this game before over the last few years when a, when, when, when this situation occurs Psychologically, there is no way in hell that the Ipswich players can be anywhere near the same level as the Sheffield United players heading into this game. Add to that the fact that Ipswich, as you mentioned, one of the worst championship teams we've seen, certainly since we've been doing the podcast, they're in the top two. Um, Add to that the fact that Sheffield United, sensational, sensational team, fantastic at home, um, crush the the worst teams, don't really struggle actually uh, in games against really, really poor teams. But in my head, it's going to be sunny. There's going to be a carnival atmosphere. Sheffield United are going to score early. They will go on to score minimum three goals. I'm thinking four or five. I genuinely, I haven't had a dream about this, but I really feel very strongly, and I'm sorry, Leeds fans, but I think you know this, uh, that that this is just a foregone conclusion. I'd I'd say that's definitely the most likely eventuality, but at the same time, um, you mentioned the the mental mindset. I mean, we've seen the Sheffield United team um, flounder in second position before and it's easy to forget now that they're so far clear with, with a couple of games to go but actually when they got the result they needed on Good Friday they were third before that game and it was only because they won and went above Leeds then Leeds lost the game later on in the afternoon that they got second spot so I mean it, you could say there's either the, the, the better mentally prepared aspect or you could say they've got the, the, the most to lose if you look at Ipswich's recent form it's appalling, but they've still managed to, to get, get draws against Derby, against Stoke, at West Brom, at Bristol City. I mean, these are all teams, matches at the time for the clubs that were absolutely huge, whether it's trying to chase down automatic promotion or, or the playoffs. So they, they kind of deserve their tag of, of being a, an awkward team to play for teams with something to play for. And, and the loss is generally you know, the 4-0 loss at Preston, the, four, the 2-0 loss at Brentford are against teams who have very little to play for. So... I mean, I can understand. It wouldn't shock me at all to see Sheffield United rack up a, a, a big score, but there's precedent in thinking that Ipswich have enough about them to make life pretty awkward. I think you're overthinking it. Leeds are, Leeds are <laughs> playing Aston Villa anyway. We're going to touch on them in a second. Ten wins in a row. Um, the last word on this for me, uh, two, two last words, and I need to credit our, our great friend Jay, uh, Jay from... Uh, he's Blades Analytic on Twitter. Uh, he's a fantastic supporter of the podcast, but we're also fantastic supporters of his uh, work, both as an analyst and on the Blades pod as well. Um, just to give a bit more credit to Sheffield United, um, they're on a, a ridiculous run of form. We mentioned how much better they've been than Leeds since the turn of the year, but uh, I mentioned it this morning on Sky Sports News that they wanted to focus, didn't they, on the overlapping centre-backs and I, and, I, and I know why and, and that is a quirk to their play which, which is, is standing out above well, it's just different isn't it to, to basically anything else that we see and, and tactics as we know them but I pointed out the, their defensive record and how impressive their defensive how impressive their defence is um, 
Blades Analytics stats from earlier. Um, from, from the game against Derby on Boxing Day, Sheffield United have only conceded 12 goals in 20 games, which is 0.6 goals conceded per game. Uh, they've scored 1.75 per game in that time. So a, a big difference game to gain that. Uh, and he took the time to check that against uh, other leagues. And out of the Championship, the Premier League, La Liga and Serie A, uh, only two teams have a better goals conceded per game ratio in that time frame. That's Atletico Madrid uh, and Manchester City. So defensively, they are just fantastic, Sheffield United. And, and, and they've been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, another word just before we move on, on uh, Brentford, who beat Leeds on Monday, because um, th- there is a risk, of course there is, on focusing on, on, on the main story, which, which was obviously Leeds's. Uh, second defeat in a matter of days and making things very hard for themselves promotion wise Brentford played a huge role in this they were um, as Gab Sutton on Twitter said and I really like this he, he, he said this was uh, Brentford 2.0 we've spoken so much about them and how much we enjoyed their style of football under Dean Smith but the limitations that they had and, and the vulnerabilities that they had um, Gab mentioned that Brentford 2.0, by which he means moments of very good football, but what stood out most was the team's power, aggression, discipline and dynamism. And those are certainly fairly new characteristics over the last uh, few months or so since Thomas Frank uh, has joined the club, notably. Uh, He said, I don't think I've seen a better bees display without the ball. Uh, And I think all of that is notable and probably likely to get me quite carried away ahead of next season. Uh, But I'm going to try not to. But uh, a fantastic performance from Brentford. The likes of Mopai showing why he's just been one of the best players in the league this season, quite frankly. Um, Takes chances when he gets them. A very brief word on Norwich because they are not champions they are not promoted mathematically, but they are promoted in my mind, certainly. Um, they're three points ahead of Sheffield United, six points ahead of Norwich, uh, sorry, six points ahead of Leeds. And while they do have some tricky fixtures to finish, uh, I do think that we will see them in the Premier League next season. This weekend, they could only draw both of their games to all against Sheffield Wednesday and Stoke. So we're not going to go any further on Norwich. When that promotion is confirmed, as we expect it to be, we will, of course, write our own not the top 20 eulogy yeah just want to give a shout out if anyone hasn't seen the highlights yet the people people who like passing people who like nice assists should watch um Vrancic's assist for Pukki's goal because it's a sumptuous left-footed clipped straight ball that kind of beats the man you'd expect him to play it to and then there's Pukki making a run that not many players at this level would see so worth checking out just for that most people would point out his 25 yard free kick into the top corner on Friday evening with that very same left foot but that's why you George, that's not us mate are next level that's why you're next level yeah, let's anyone, talk about, anyone who's on social media would have seen that goal at least 46 times so <laughs> let's talk about the, the playoff picture um, West Brom got four points from their two games a, a win against Hull that was very much Dwight Gale in action uh, and then a nil-all draw against Reading. I think that Easter weekend summed them up fairly well, picking up points, not necessarily the most convincing um, of, of performances. And Aston Villa uh, won both games. In fact, they've won 10 in a row, George. I don't want to... I've been trying not to go over the top about this, but 10 games in a row in this division specifically... And there's a risk that you, you get to sort of anyone can beat anyone and it's the best league in the world type stuff. But my main point here is that in the Premier League, the difference between the top team and the 12th team 
or rather the tenth team, the mid-table team, is, is huge. And therefore, for most of the, of the top six, you'd expect them to beat almost anyone else. If they had a nice run of fixtures, winning eight or ten games is not out of the question in a row. In the championship where the gap between teams as you go down the table is very, very small. There are obviously tiers to it. We've got a top three, for example. We've got another batch of six, maybe, or seven. Then we've got a bit of mid-table and then a, a batch of two really bad teams with four or five above them. But the gaps between the individual teams is small. To win ten games in a row, am I going over the top to say this is, this is maybe the best run I can remember on, since we've been doing the podcast in three years? Yeah, probably. I always remember that, that Watford run um, in the last, I think they won their last 10 games of the season to get automatic promotion, but was that just before the pod started? Anyway, it's very good either way, um, and, it, and it kind of reminds me of that. <clears throat> they haven't conceded more than one goal in, in any of those games as well, which is mightily impressive. Um, so whilst it might be the likes of, of, of Abraham and, and Grealish and you know, McGinn, who are getting the plaudits, um, Al Ghazi as well, um, you know, the defensive foundation upon which this is built up is, is very important. You look at the teams you'd expect them to beat, um, you know, Bolton are in there, Rotherham are in there, although as we know, that's not a very easy place to go. Millwall, last time out uh, in there as well, and, and probably Birmingham, you, you'd lump into that. But except for that, they've beaten decent teams. Um, you know, Derby was, was a huge win at home. Um, Bristol City was a massive one as well. Blackburn, Middlesbrough, you know, these are tough games that they've come out of so easily. Um, so it, it's, it's a huge, huge achievement. You've got to be somewhat concerned that the last two games are Leeds away and Norwich at home. It, it's frustrating for them because they should be dead rubbers, but you don't want to treat them as so because you don't want to lose that winning run and the belief amongst the players. But also it's going to take a lot out of them. Um, those are probably the two hardest teams to play against, I'd have thought, in the league. Uh, a lot being along with Sheffield United, they're the best three. Um, but just the way that both Leeds and Norwich press off the ball and the energy with which they play on the ball is going to make that really, really tough. Uh, especially, I mean, I suppose Villa could be done a massive favour by uh, by um, Sheffield United doing what you expect them to do and, and, and putting a few past it switch. So it, it might not be a bad thing to play really, really good teams before you go into well, the playoffs, uh, given who you're going to be playing yeah, in the playoffs. And the chances are is that this is going to be a dead rubber, um, this Leeds-Villa game in name. Mm. But if, as we think, as the likelihood is, Sheffield United get the result and they play on the Sunday, so they'll be playing after the game, crucially, um, this is going to be the, more, the most likely, according to the bookies at least, the most likely playoff final. So there's going to be <laughs> no chance either team are going to roll over. Marcelo Bielsa won't have to send any spies to go and have a look at Villa training because he'll get his own look at it um, a couple of weeks before. Uh, and it's going to be, you know, neither team are going to want to give much away uh, and, and give bragging rights up to the other team as well. Um, just looking at the early prices, Villa seem an absolute massive price, around about seven to two, which seems uh, bizarre to me given Leeds' run of form. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's great days to be a Villa fan. And, and in my view, there's no doubt going into the playoffs that they're the team that I expect to be favourites to go through the playoffs. And I think they're also, unless Leeds can, can fashion some form in the, in the next couple of games, um, they come into it as, 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 as the star team. Well, it's almost certainly going to be West Brom against Villa in the playoff semi-final. The only way that would not happen is if Leeds lose their last two games and West Brom win their last two games. Of course, the most likely scenario is a West Brom-Villa semi-final. So let's talk about who might play against, we think, Leeds in the other playoff semi-final because this is quite the battle, isn't it, Uh, George? You've got Derby 
in sixth at the moment, uh, very much in the driving seat in terms of points, and also the fact that they've played a game less than the three teams below them, Middlesbrough, Bristol City, and Sheffield Wednesday. Um, We have to include Swansea in this discussion because of the fixtures that they have. Um, But Derby had a good Easter weekend, four points in their games, a draw away at Birmingham, and a 2-0 win eventually against QPR. Middlesbrough, you would say, have the kind of fixtures with Rotherham and Reading to come. There's a big game on Saturday, though, isn't there, at Ashton Gate, Bristol City, against Derby County. Yeah, it's almost the, the pre-playoff playoff, I guess. Nice. Um, where whoever wins this one's going to be in, in the best position possible to go forward uh, and take that final berth. As you mentioned, I mean, I've spoken about it a lot. I think that this, this Derby team now with, with the man mount back in, uh, back in the team are just a completely different kettle of fish as they were before. And we've spoken before about how Harry Wilson profits from, from Mount being in the team in that more advanced position. And we saw that both by him winning the penalty um, and then getting the, uh, the second goal as well. Um, very, very late on. A huge win that. And in terms of belief and, and, and showing um, the fans and the players that they can do this is going to be huge. So, I mean, I, I I wouldn't want to call the winner of this game. Um, I think they're they're two very evenly matched teams, and you know, Bristol City's home uh, home advantage gives them the edge. And I know that you're very confident um, of one team that isn't going to be making the playoffs. It seems absurd when you look at the league table. Derby in sixth with a better goal difference than Middlesbrough, with more points than Bristol City, Sheffield Wednesday, and Swansea and having played a game fewer than the three teams below them. But they're not going to make the playoffs. That's what I think. I don't think... It's that simple. I don't think... Everyone from Derby turns off. Well, you'd be absolutely within your right mind to say, you're an idiot, and maybe I will look like an idiot. Derby playing Bristol City away on Saturday. Now, Bristol City's home form is not sensational, just one win in six... Uh, and Derby's away form, as we know, is, is really not very good either. Um, they then play Swansea away from home. Now, Swansea's home form is sensational. Uh, and that Derby away form, of course, well, we won't know what their result will be at Bristol City. But a really, really tough prospect, that. And then they play West Brom at home. Now, there's all sorts of predictions you can make about the fact that West Brom will it'll be a dead rubber for them and they won't be up for it. And they'll probably play a second team to keep everyone fit for the playoffs. At this stage, I can't be confident of saying really what they'll do. So looking at the next two games, I I genuinely don't think, looking at the games individually, that Derby will beat Bristol City. I don't think that Derby will beat Swansea. I think the most likely scenario individually uh, is that Bristol City might win or the draw the next most likely result for me. And I do think Swansea will beat Derby. There's a lot of chat about Mason Mount. He didn't play particularly well against Birmingham on the weekend. Uh, he hasn't played particularly well in away games for the last, well, since Christmas time. Uh, in fact, if you go throughout the whole season, I think he scored two goals away from home, one of them on opening day against Reading uh, and one of them in that crazy 4-3 win against uh, Norwich. I'm not seeing still enough from this team, even if they did get that win against QPR on Easter Monday. I'm not, when I'm watching these games, I don't see this as a particularly good team. Now, I might be overdoing this. Bristol City themselves are not exactly a winning machine. Swansea are a long way back. Uh, and that West Brom game uh, at Pride Park, it's 
it's true that Derby will probably have more to play for, but I just thought the table is not for me telling the whole story. And for content purposes, maybe I've gone a bit too far, but Derby not making the playoffs for me. These are the calls we have to make, and it's normally we me. We don't have to, mate. Well, no, I didn't have to say that. It's, it's normally me upsetting the listeners. So um, if any Derby fans listening want to fire Ali some abuse, it's at the Makaleli role on Twitter. Um, I'm sure he'll be willing to engage with you. But no, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, but I, I mean, away games naturally, uh, you know, you're, unless you're an anomaly, you're going to pick up fewer points on the road. So it's not a surprise that, that Mount's output on the road is worse than his at home. Um, it also is in line with the whole team and uh, and I just feel like at the moment they are a different kettle of fish to, to what they were a couple of weeks ago and I don't think that Bristol City um, are going to have an easy ride on Saturday but uh, but we'll see. Swansea have to win all their games to get in um, but we have to keep them in the conversation. They're at home to Hull, they're at home to Derby and then they're away to Blackburn. So it's not over for Swansea by any, mean, by any means um, but it's not looking too likely at this stage let's uh, they did win both their games on Easter weekend shout out to Blackburn and Wigan who did the same as well um, I feel especially bad for, for the Wigan fans here really because it was an incredible win against Leeds it was a great win against a, a Preston side who seemed to have checked out somewhat um, but we can't really well we can touch on them I guess to start our relegation in the championship chat uh, Wigan over the weekend QPR over the weekend and Reading, in all but mathematics, have ruled themselves out of this relegation battle. Um, they're all three teams who, at different times in the last few months, we've probably, if not we've said they're going to get relegated, we've probably said, ooh, Wigan not in great nick, ooh, QPR not in great wick, nick, ooh, Reading not in great nick. So credit to them for rising above. And definitely credit to, to Jose Gomez at Reading, um, a manager who we were concerned about his appointment, given what we were told from our Portuguese friends, and maybe there will be trouble on the horizon. But but so far, it's it's so good. Um, and even though Wigan have have disappointed me in their, given how dominant they were last season, in their ability to kick on. I mean, Paul Cook certainly doesn't share that view. Um, yesterday, com- comparing their um, their safety uh, to a bigger achievement than than their promotion last season, which. I don't know if that's a case of just slightly blowing your own trumpet a bit um, or not, but uh, I think it probably it, is. it seems a bit much to me. I must say. Um, I mean, you, we, we spoke this morning uh, on our walk to Sky Studios, and maybe it's my foolhardiness of, of still believing that, that this Rotherham team have a bit of fight in them. But I'm not calling this done yet. Um, I, I don't think we can ring the bell on uh, on the relegation race because Millwall's fixtures in aren't very easy you know they, they've got two home games sure but Stoke are a very 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 difficult team to break down and to beat um, under Nathan Jones and we are seeing signs at least um, that, that they are getting towards what he's after um, then the Bristol City game and the chances are there that this is going to be the biggest game of Bristol City season so even though they've got a game in hand and they're three points clear of Rotherham it's, it's, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ended up the season on 43 or 44 points um, so Rotherham have two very tough games <laughs> yeah. but West Brom ha- are a team who have very very little to play for at the moment they, it's just a case now of preparation ahead of the Villa game um, I'm not by any means saying that I, I expect Rotherham to win this but it wouldn't surprise me if they got a point and then Borough will be in the same uh, will, could easily be in the same situation on final day it could be a massive game it could not be I'm not, I'm not here to say in any way that I expect Rotherham to stay up 
I'm just saying that I would, there's still a pulse here. There's still a pulse. Um, it may, there may not be come Rotherham's, um, sorry, come, uh, come Saturday afternoon. But uh, as far as I'm concerned right now, and Paul Warren said as much in his post-match interview yesterday, they, all they can do is keep trying. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Millwall um, were feeding off scraps for the, last, uh, for the last three games. He's absolutely right to say that. You are well within your rights to check the pulse and find uh, a weekly beating heart. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to say goodbye to Rotherham, I'm afraid. And it's, you know, it's with no pleasure. It's certainly with no glee. But I just think they look like, and this is not particularly analytical, this is not the best analysis, but losing 4-3 to Swansea in a game that, that kind of swung this way and that, losing... 3-1 to Birmingham having been ahead I, from what I saw from what I saw over the weekend from what I saw over the weekend George what I'm saying is I do not believe in Rotherham to pick up three points and they need at least well, they in need, fact they need, they need four, four points they need four so I, I, I'm not having and, and and you know you, you are probably right but in those games I mean, what I'll take out of that is that against Stoke they had a very good chance to win it late on um, the Swansea game they were ahead for the majority and should have won it in the first half against Birmingham they were completely dominant in that game before Birmingham were a different side second half uh, yeah the chances are it's game over but um, maybe I'm just saying this so if and when the great escape happens I can say hey, lads I called this yeah just before we move on to League One let me mention Reading's championship record before Jose Gomez that was under Paul Clement of course 23 games 4 wins 7 draws 12 defeats and just 19 points from those 23 games. Since José Gomes has been appointed, 21 games, 6 wins, 9 draws and 6 defeats. And that's 27 points. So two games fewer, eight games more. It's been a genuinely transformative managerial appointment. And there's certainly times throughout the season, George, when a manager leaves and we say the likes of be careful what you wish for we say maybe there are bigger problems at the club than there's just the manager but I wanted to read out a couple of names that I'm calling the nominees for best managerial appointment mid-season in all leagues in the EFL okay and you just tell me who you think off the top of your head I haven't given you any time to, to, to think about this Jose Gomes yeah in the championship Dean Smith in the championship in league one Mick Harford Wally Downs, Brian Barry Murphy of Rochdale, and in League Two, Solzier Campbell. I've got to pick one. Well, just tell me what you think about the list and, and anyone that you that feels that you feel strongly about. I would say Sol has to be the really? winner. Well, because if you if you compare the time at which all of them were appointed, the least likely outcome of all of them was Macclesfield survival. Maybe Wimbledon survival. And for that reason, he hasn't, you know, right Fair. now, as we're talking, Macclesfield yeah. survival is more likely than Wimbledon's. Correct. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if Wimbledon stay up as well, but just for whatever reason, because, because the, you know, the, the performance data around Wimbledon before that, uh, Ardley was sacked was good, it just feels like he's had less of an impact than Sol at Macclesfield, who just completely turned around the whole club, where they, you know, talking of pulses, they were, they were dead. And uh, and he came in and and has, and has turned it around. So as we stand right now, I would have. I mean, by by no means am I saying that I think Saul Campbell is the best manager of those of those guys. But in terms of best appointment, and you know, let's be honest, that was a pretty big call from the um, from the hierarchy at Macclesfield. 
I think that has to be number one. Yeah, all very valid. There's really no wrong answer necessarily, but yours is a good answer. Just a quick aside, what's your favourite pulse uh, food-wise? I don't like lentils. Baked beans for me. Oh. No? No. Um, like... Uh, Chickpeas? No. Garden peas? No. Black-eyed peas? Garden peas are, are a pulse? Yep. Surely not. Runner beans? I don't think that's right, mate. Broad beans? Literally on the NHS website as we speak, mate, so... That looks like Google to me. Beans and pulses, they're saying here, actually, so... Yeah, I mean, a, a pea is definitely not a pulse. Let's go away and read a bit more about pulses. Um, this was an impulse section, uh, ironically, and it, <clears throat> it's not really paid off. Anyway, let's talk about League One. Luton have not played their second Easter game. Did you know that couscous is pasta? <laughs> no, it's not, it's rice. No, it's not, it's pasta. Mm. Isn't that unbelievable? Mm. If anyone wants to check out our food blog, mm. no, not yet. <laughs> not the top spices. One, six points in League One over Easter weekend. Congratulations to Barnsley, to Portsmouth, to Oxford United. Yeah, those. And to Rochdale and won zero points over Easter weekend. Well, Doncaster and Accrington, as we record, but they both got a game this evening. But not a great one for Burton, Shrewsbury and Plymouth. Now, down at the bottom, things are very interesting. Let's deal with the top at the moment. We assume that Luton will pick up minimum one, probably three points against Wimbledon tonight. We'll put them in the driving seat for the title, which is no surprise. So it's got to be the battle for second spot, doesn't it, George? And I've already spoken about this on National Saturday Night Terrestrial, or rather freeview tv so i want to hear your thoughts on what happened over the weekend essentially barnsley and portsmouth taking maximum points but sunderland stumbled against peterborough <laughs> i wish you said that on quest <laughs> uh yeah sunderland and sunderland fans aren't happy um our friends at roker report were even getting it in the neck um after the game which i was sad to see given the unbelievable coverage that they give that club and having been on the on the receiving end of the of the wrath of of Sunderland fans on social media, I felt a bit sorry for them that they were getting it. Um, and given how positive they've been all season, they did a poll asking fans if they thought they were going to get promoted. And having all season been about ninety nine percent yes, um, it suddenly showed about seventy seven percent no, um, which shows just how much the tables have turned. And, and in my view, ridiculously, there is close to automatic promotion now or as likely to get it as they were about six weeks ago right I'm um, definitely in the meantime they've been they've been closer there's no denying that but right now I mean they're still a home win against Pompey away from you know basically being right back in the mix again right although relying on um, on Barnsley but all this talk about it's in our own hands seven games out is a bit ridiculous because you're not going to win seven games in a row really Barnsley are in a strong position Barnsley in a very strong position and, and they also are, are playing very well and, and are fairly ruthless I still have concerns that we've, we've seen time and time again they have for a 9 out of 10 team they have a lot of 2 out of 10 days um, and it wouldn't be a massive shock to see them put one of those in in the coming weeks I, I still think that Portsmouth have got a big role to play in this um, if, if they can get something from Sunderland uh, which wouldn't surprise me given that we've seen them beat Sunderland at Fratton um, we then saw them uh, get past them at Wembley they certainly have any mental advantage going into it and as I say just the whole feeling around Sunderland seems very deflated at the moment um, yeah I, I think that Portsmouth and, and Barnsley are the, are the two who are going to fight it out but as I say I, I wouldn't rule out Sunderland from here at all I'm feeling fairly bullish about Barnsley I think that they will win against Blackpool at home uh, on Saturday that means that in my eyes they'll be on 91 
um, from 45 games. Now, of course, so much depends on what happens in that game at the Stadium of Light between Sunderland and Portsmouth. And I suppose this is where I go slightly off-piste because while Portsmouth got six points from their games, 2-1 wins against Burton and another 2-1 win against Coventry. And Sunderland only got the four points, which is why they're now two points behind. Uh, Sunderland with that good, solid, comfortable win against Doncaster. Uh, And that one-all draw against Peterborough, where they, for the 14th game this season, drew 1-1 in a league game, which seems absolutely ridiculous, but is the truth. And it was a classic Sunderland game. Um... I wouldn't say they dominated, but I would say they were marginally the better side, had the better chances before the goals and went ahead. So it seemed a, a surprise when Peterborough scored. And yet, you've touched on it many times this season, I know that Sunderland fans, the ones that we talk to, recognise this. They so rarely look in control of games and they don't kill them off when they're in the ascendancy. And that's a, a bit of a dangerous mixture. Now, I, I don't want to go over the top here. They've got 84 points from 43 games. They've had a fantastic season. There's no doubt of that. But this was a good example. They should have been 1-2, maybe 3-0 up by the time they went ahead. And that is respecting Peterborough, who were going for it as well uh, and had one or two good chances. Um, but Wyke missed a good chance. Dunn missed a good chance. For me, it's the fact that... the defensively they never convince me they never I'm never convinced they're going to keep a clean sheet even that one that they kept against Doncaster I mean early in that game Donny had a few good openings they don't sit on games and say you won't score we're going to score one two or three and look that's not an easy skill and and Portsmouth and Barnsley struggle to do that sometimes as well but it just stands out a bit more when it's Sunderland um, maybe because of of the expectations around the club. This Peterborough game was a perfect example. They went 1-0 up. Of course, at that stage, you've used your subs and you can't exactly whip on a load of defenders. But Peterborough's goal, as, well, as much as it was a sensational finish from Godden, from the edge of the box, basically put it in the only place he could have scored in. If you watch the goal back, the shape of the team is, is unrecognisable from what you'd expect a Barnsley or a Portsmouth to be setting up in um, defending a lead heading into injury time. And there's, a ball over, there's a long ball that bypasses most of the midfield and the attack. Um, Dunn loses an aerial duel with Matty Godden, which he, he should be winning nine times out of ten based on his size and his aerial ability. Uh, Godden does very well to get it into Tony, at which stage four Sunderland defenders slash midfielders run towards Tony, but none of them put a challenge in, none of them put a foot in. He gives the ball back to Godden, at which point now it's only done, or, or someone I think probably done with Godden. Everyone else is with Tony, um, and it's just inefficient defending, and as I say, unconvincing defending. And, and, and yet, I feel so strongly that Portsmouth's performances over Easter weekend did not translate into results I don't think they deserve to beat Burton I don't think they deserve to beat Coventry and so given that we are pioneers we think in trying to look at performances over mere results I think that Sunderland are favourites to win the game at the Stadium of Light well I don't know what the bookies say in my head I'd be very very surprised if Portsmouth come away with all three points from that game I would suggest if they don't it's quite good news for Barnsley to be quite honest with you so it's it's an interesting situation to be in for sure yeah, no, I'd definitely agree it's good news for Barnsley. Um, but I just have to disagree with you about, about Portsmouth, where at this stage of the season, it's about being clutch. And, and you are right that the performance that Sunderland put in 
um, on Monday was probably better of, of higher quality of Portsmouth. Although I would say that in terms of opposition right now, I'd, I mean, they have, the home game against Coventry is, is is an easier game to be fair than going to to Posh. But um, there's just something about this Portsmouth team, and you know, I've spoken in, in the past about Sunderland, you know, picking up points in games that they haven't deserved. But at the same time, they have a horrific tendency to squander leads now, which is becoming a massive, massive problem. And um, yeah, just given the run that Portsmouth are on and the longevity of it, um, you know, four wins on the bounce away from home as well, scoring a mammoth 10 goals in those four games away from home in the league, given Sunderland's issues with, with conceding goals as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I, I, Sunderland are favourites for the game. I think Pompey are a bet. It's a massive game. Nod to Coventry here. They're going to be in the... Uh, playoffs for sure and the good news for them was the return of Jake Forster-Kasky from a very long-term injury uh, he was injured before the start of the season but he's a he's a fantastic player he certainly has been pre-injury so for him to be back in time for the playoffs is a great moment for them and Lyle Taylor scoring a sensational free kick in that game um, Peterborough squandered a lead late against Fleetwood and then grabbed a point against Sunderland so a so-so week for them that playoff battle looks like it's still alive if Peterborough can win uh, at least two if not three of their last three games their game in hand over Doncaster is against Portsmouth away though which is very difficult um, George Oxford are one of the four teams in League One who, who won both games this weekend I'm still confused about how they're doing it but just from a, a, a sentimental fans point of view nice to be supporting a team that's winning football matches yeah I guess this is probably the last time that we'll talk about Oxford until we're sitting down doing our next season previews which is quite weird but uh, yeah no, it's great um, frustratingly because of um, personal uh, appointments I've been unable to go over the Easter weekend and missed seemingly the two best games of the season but I'm delighted I mean when you're a football fan you've been a manager a bit of stick I think when he turns it around um, you've got to give him credit so massive credit to Carl Robinson and the staff and the players for doing so um, the only two things that slightly cause for concern is the players who have been central to turning it around the likes of uh, um, Jordan Graham uh, Jerome Sinclair Marcus Brown hasn't been so much recently but, but has been a, a key player this season they're all on loan um, which is a bit of a concern and Curtis Nelson's off and secondly this is just I think the reason why Oxford fans were perturbed with what was going on was because we knew that we had one of the top seven budgets in the league we knew that this squad was capable of much more and thank goodness they've shown it eventually because it's got us out of a bit of a mess one player that Oxford do have under contract is Gavin White who scored that sensational hat-trick really you know he basically put the whole team on his back and uh, and got Oxford that win showing, that before. showing great pace <laughs> great finishing ability obviously nice for him to be in the headlines for the right reasons uh, we spoke about him having been in the headlines for the wrong reasons earlier on in the season um, a fantastic weekend for Rochdale and Brian, Brian rather, Barry Murphy, their caretaker manager. Um, they've done an amazing job and it's worth repeating some of the stuff that I say on Quest because a lot of people might not have seen that and they might want not to miss out on some good stuff. So let me tell you that in Rochdale's first 35 games this season, they conceded 74 goals. That was, unsurprisingly, the worst defensive record in the EFL. And uh, as such, they were staring down the barrel of relegation to League Two. Brian Barry Murphy had other ideas. They've conceded nine in their last nine games, and that includes conceding four against Sunderland. So uh, actually only five in eight of those games. And that has taken them a long way. Two 1-0 wins 
over Easter weekend. They are five points clear of the relegation zone and it seems impossible to think that they could be caught. How do you look at, at, at that at the moment? It's obviously difficult, George, with Accrington and Wimbledon playing before we record, but... Walsall I think doomed Walsall, Walsall are down what about Wimbledon we'd expect them to lose at Luton but we mustn't say anything well, we, rega- we regret I was talking about it in the office today and people were asking me if I thought Luton were a banker and I said no um, just because it's, it's just a huge game for AFC Wimbledon and they don't concede many goals at the moment and their away form is pretty good so I, w- I wouldn't necessarily and whilst Luton will be desperate to win just to secure promotion it's not, you know, they're probably going to get promoted anyway, really. So it's not a huge, huge concern. I think it'll be a pretty low margin game. I can't see Luton wiping the floor with them. Um, this could sound stupid tomorrow morning. But, uh, uh, put it this way: there's a, okay. Let's talk about a group of teams on fifty points: Bristol Rovers, Shrewsbury, and Wickham. All, all safe. They should all be fine, right? Yeah. It's unlikely that that a team either Wimbledon will get six points or Scunthorpe will get four points yeah. there. But Scunthorpe do play Plymouth on final day. Is that the key fixture? I yeah, think definitely. It probably is massive, really big game. Um, that's going to be the one that it comes down to. And I think Accrington are also very much, very much in it. I expect Doncaster to, to beat them tonight and that would have them there as well. I think 50 points is basically, I think when you hit 50 at the moment, you can pretty much count yourself safe. So, um, yeah, you have to think that Warsaw are in a lot of trouble. So League Two was quite weird compared to the other two leagues. When we've spoken about the teams that get six points and the teams that have got no points over Easter weekend, well... In League Two, only Crewe and Forest Green got six points from their two East weekend games, and not a single team got zero points. So there were quite a lot of draws. I think there were ten teams that got one point uh, from a possible six. Uh, a couple who got four, a couple who got three, but a great weekend for Crewe, who are finishing the season strong. And for Forest Green, who took over Tranmere to move into fifth, they're three points off automatic promotion. We've got to talk about automatic promotion because Lincoln confirmed champions uh, this weekend. A draw to seal it, which seems a shame, just like um, their defeat to Carlisle on Friday, which also seemed a bit of a shame, but not a big deal. We've spoken about Lincoln. We will certainly be talking about them more into next season. Let's talk about the battle for the last two automatic promotion spots, George. Where do you see it? Or how do you see it, I suppose, after, uh, after a, a weekend in which MK Don's got four points, Barry and Mansfield both picked up three each? Yeah, Forest Green are the form team coming into it, but I think they're too far behind. I think Barry Mansfield and MK have got enough about them to, to, to ensure that even if Forest Green win their next two games and get up to 79, I, I can't see that being good enough for the same reason. I mean, Tranmere are playoff bound. Uh, Barry's return to form has been absolutely incredible. I mean, Ryan Lowe continues to just work miracles there given the fact there was a very obvious reason for their slump in form and that the players weren't being paid. Um, and Danny Mayer was suspended. And Danny Mayer was suspended. And it got to a stage where their game against Colchester nearly didn't even go ahead. And then they won that game and they've kicked on now as well. Um, you've got to be really, really impressed. Um, a big defeat. For, I mean, it feels like Mansfield and MK Dons are one of those two. They play each other on final day. Um, it's probably pretty likely that it's going to be winner takes all. One of those two will miss out, probably, won't yeah. they? And the yeah, fact I that think games so. at Mansfield uh, gives them a huge advantage, I would suggest. And the fact that currently, although they're on the same points, uh, they have a better goal difference, which, yeah. which stands for a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I've been pretty baffled. It kind of summed up their season, seeing um, Chuck Sanaki going through one-on-one against Port Vale to really put them in the driving seat. And unca- Well, I say uncharacteristically, but just rolling the ball wide from a, from a fairly simple mm. chance. Um, so often this season, they haven't been able to, to convert those chances and, and that's going to be what costs them. Uh, if it does cost them, because 
they definitely have the quality to, to get six points for the next two. Yeah, we should say that Tranmere host Berry on Saturday. So that's a huge game as well and a really tough one for Berry. So essentially what we're saying is we don't know, but we're excited. <laughs> very. I think t- two of, two of Berry Mansfield and MK Dons, I right. think. Yeah. Which, okay. is, which isn't saying much. It's not saying much. No, is but it? You, you've seen a lot of people saying, you know, Forest Green and Tranmere are in the automatic hunt. I just don't really have We'll draw a line yeah. under MK Dons uh, and we look forward to a playoff semi-final. Hopefully, between Forest Green and Tramia, that would be tasty in the extreme. So Mansfield could have, have gone a long way to securing the automatic promotion spot, but they lost to Oldham. Now, this was an Oldham team that we've seen every now and again this season and it's a team that on its day is incredibly good and that's because they have certain players such as the stars from yesterday uh, Mohamed Maouche probably my favourite name to say in League 2 uh, and Javaro Nepomuchino, which is probably my second favourite name to say <laughs> in, in League 2. Uh, Nepomuchino at the double, Maouche with a goal and a sensational assist for the first uh, this is an Oldham side that have done well in the Cups when they've been up for it, have done quite well in individual games such as this against Mansfield to get the win, um, but whose inconsistency puts them in the battle for the last playoff spot, but not in, well, in an interesting state because there are, we've got Exeter on 66 who are in it at the moment. They lost to Crawley and Drew to Stevenage on the weekend. And then Colchester, Carlisle, and Stevenage on 64, two points behind them. Newport on 64 with a game in hand. Oldham on 62 with a game in hand. And it's Newport against Oldham at Newport. Essentially, can you predict anything here? Do you feel bold enough to do so? Yeah, I think Newport are the the ones I'm looking at now. Um, Despite uh, a game at home to Lincoln, which isn't ideal, it's probably a good time to play Lincoln. Um, We've seen that since securing promotion Lincoln's performances haven't been of the highest quality that we've come to expect from them and that's absolutely fair enough it's been a hell of a two years uh, Newport County have only conceded two goals in their last seven games um, the, only t- the only three games they haven't won of those seven have been nil-nil draws they are very very solid and they are bang in form and very hard to break down and that's what you need here because if they can get something out of the, out of the Lincoln game realistically that uh, winning against Oldham will put them right in it mm. um, and away at Morecambe final day, you'd absolutely take that. So even Stevenage were the team I was looking at before. Um, big, big clutch result from Exeter to come back and get a point there to, to keep them at arm's length. And if there's a team now that I think we'll get into it, I think Newport are the ones. Yeah, well, I claimed that on national TV last Saturday, so I'm feeling quite strongly about Newport County. To be quite honest with you, um, the six teams between 7th and 12th all failed to win on Easter Monday, so um, there's no one that you can really trust in that scenario. And you could probably maybe say the same about the bottom three, George. We know that it's three going, um, well, for one survival spot, essentially. We know that Notts are bottom, Yeovil now second bottom, and Macclesfield just outside, two points better off. And for the third round of fixtures in a row, they all matched each other's results. So I guess what I'm asking is, is there anything that Yeovil or Notts County have shown you in the last few weeks to suggest that they could rise above Macclesfield? Well, they've got to get two or three points to do so so no not really I guess Notts County's game against Grimsby at home is probably the one you'd see as being the winnable um, the one that could get them above but you know Macclesfield still proving every, to everybody that they you know are, are able to pick up points and uh, against decent enough teams so at this stage of the season having a two point gap 
ahead of 23rd in a two-team relegation zone is, is massive. And I think that it'll be a huge effort from either Notts County or, or Yeovil to close that down. Yeah, I mean, all three of them lost their games on Good Friday and drew their games on Monday. But we had a few different types of draw. We had Macclesfield drawing with Newport, a game in which they did very well to get a point, actually. It wasn't that Newport absolutely dominated them, but Newport, the better side, the more likely side, and Macclesfield showing real resolve to, uh, to keep the score at nil-nil. And uh, Elliot Durrell had a chance of sorts where he was through on goal and his touch was so bad uh, that it wobbled through to the goalkeeper. And then you had Notts and Yeovil, the complete opposite. Notts County, uh, 1-0 up, then back to one all and going down to 10 men. Uh, with a long period of the game still to go and holding on for that one-all draw. Uh, and Yeovil going 1-0 up, Colchester going down to 10 men, and then Colchester equalising, still with plenty of time to play. And Yeovil unable to make any sort of headway against the Colchester side with 10 men. In fact, it, it was genuinely one of those ones where they were better against 11 than they were against 10. So uh, I'm going to go back to uh, the fact that in 2019 so far, Yeovil have played 21 league games. They've got 14 points. Notts County, 19 league games, two games fewer. They've got 18 points, four points more. And Mansfield, uh, sorry, Macclesfield have played 19. They've got 20 points, which is six more than Yeovil and two games fewer they've played. So I just think they're the better side uh, in the current state, in the current scenario. And I'd be really surprised if, if either Yeovil or Notts County can make up a two-point gap. But all to play for, Notts County's winnable game, as you say, against Grimsby. Moving on from League Two and on to our chat with Haley from the charity Mind. I asked you at the top of the podcast to stick around just for five or ten minutes as we get to know Mind, their work with the EFL and the work that they do. I think it's really important, guys, to listen to this because they are working hard to make people's lives better and to help people and to support people, but also to raise awareness. So it's relevant to everyone, really. There might be... Uh, something that Haley says that resonates with you, but hopefully there'll be plenty that she says that makes you want to help, that makes you want to support, that makes you want to raise awareness. So please stick around uh, a chat with Haley from Minds, just getting to know them and their partnership with the EFL. And we thank them so much for their time. Thank you very much for talking to us, uh, Haley. I'm going to start with an easy one, I think, which is uh, to ask you to give me a bit of information surrounding Mind's partnership with the EFL, how that came about and how you've spent the last eight or nine months or so since making the partnership. We were absolutely thrilled to be um, uh, nominated as uh, EFL's Charity of the Year for the next two seasons. So we went through quite a competitive process. Lots of charities um, wanted that space on the back of the shirt and we were thrilled to be chosen. It provides us a real opportunity to raise awareness about mental health with fans, with uh, club staff, but also with the the players and everyone involved in the game. Like um, EFL, the clubs, the 72 clubs, we have a network of local minds in the heart of communities. So we have just over 130 across England and Wales, and actually 48 of those map really closely to the EFL clubs. And another fantastic aspect of the the raising awareness part of mind has been the famous squiggle... (laughs) on the backs of all of the shirts of players 
in the EFL this season. How how did that come about? Who who takes the credit for that idea? Um, I, th- I think that came from, from Sean Harvey, actually, from oh, wow. um, the, the CEO of um, the EFL. Um, and, and that's really an, a great opportunity. The squiggle, as we call it, it looks a little bit like a hashtag, is part of our Mind logo. Um, and that's the first time that it's been incorporated into the player's name. So it's part of football history. We're really excited about that. And the logo represents, um, for some people, I guess, that chaos and confusion that we experience when we're struggling with our mental health. So to get it very prominently on the shirt, to start raising awareness about mind and just starting those conversations, it's phenomenal. If you told me four years ago when I joined Mind and we started this journey of our sports work that we'd be across all 72 clubs, I, I would have thought you were joking. So it's, it's a huge opportunity to have that conversation. We're basically halfway through almost your two-season or two-year partnership with the EFL. Um, what have been the main focuses in the first year and what will you be looking to build on for, for next season and start to maybe roll out more of next season? Yeah, so to start with, it's, it's all, all been about establishing who we are, who are mind, who is this squiggle thing, what are we doing and how do we work in local communities and what, what support can we offer to fans. So very much focusing on raising awareness and signposting to our, our services, so our local minds and our information services. We've, as we talked about, we've had the match day activations and we'll be seeing more of those next season. So getting out to the remaining 50-odd clubs, which is exciting, but also about working together um, around training and providing services in local communities. So we've worked really closely with Cambridge United and MK Dons around a training package to help club st- staff sort of start talking about mental health and to understand what it is and how they can take care of themselves, their supporters and their clubs. So that's just rolling out now as we speak and that'll be a big feature for next season as well as getting people active in their local communities so there's been some great projects already we've worked on some work with um, Notts County Football Club um, done a little bit of work with Doncaster Rovers and we're building on that next season so there'll be projects real projects in the heart of communities using sport to build people's resilience to help them stay well um, to help the deal with mental health recovery so when someone's unwell sport can be a really powerful way to um, help in terms of um, supporting them to get better but also just tackling that stigma as well so there's, there's lots of exciting things planned and I think you'll, you'll see a greater presence of us next season What do you think are some of the ways in which the, the football world uh, is, is maybe behind other parts of the world in terms of understanding the 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 causes and what can be done about mental health. So I think the football family have been on a whole journey around uh, understanding their their mental health and we hear a lot from from players in particular talking about their own mental health. Danny Rose on the eve of the World Cup sharing um, about his depression and his personal experience. Players across the EFL, Matty Blair, Billy Key, all talking out about how how they've been impacted by, by poor mental health. I think there's still a long way to go. I'm not sure that's um, transferred onto the terraces or to the stands, um, and particularly wider around the club. So I think we're, we've still got quite a journey that we're, we're on around um, mental health in football. And we just want it to be okay to not be okay. And whether you're uh, working in the terraces, the turnstile, wherever you are, that you can have those conversations about mental health just as you do around your physical health. Mm. We're not expecting to turn the football family into experts around mental health, but just to, to lift and, and um, have some empathy and signpost to professional help just as you would do with physical health so still a bit of a way to go yeah and there's many different ways that um, 
difficulties with mental health can manifest themselves. For people listening who, who might feel like they are not clued up, myself, for example, I would include in that bracket, what are some of the feelings that, that I or, or a listener might feel, difficult feelings that that can be helped to work through with, with support from, from yourselves? I think we all know um, what it's like to have a bad day. And, you know, we all have good days and bad days. Um, it's when bad days turn into bad weeks and longer that it becomes a problem. So mental health problems really affect how we think, feel and we behave. So if your mental health is stopping you doing things that you used to enjoy, if you're lacking motivation, uh, perhaps if you're experiencing low mood, um, feeling anxious about things that you didn't feel anxious about before, that's really sort of signs and indicators that you might need some, some help and support there's also physical symptoms as well so you might be eating too much too little your sleep might be affected aches and pains are somewhat unexplained so it's really important that you reach out and talk to someone about how you're feeling there's lots of support out there talk to someone you trust or get in contact with us at mind the support that you offer goes a long way to to helping people deal with mental health issues could you give us uh, just one or two examples of of what the support looks like, what it what it is, and, and how it can help people? There's a whole range of, of support, depending on um, what you would like to access, really. So from our information line, um, which you can call, um, our helpline, there's also information online, so resources about what mental health is, self-support, but also um, people sharing their own personal experiences and, and what helps them. I think that's really important. We have Ellie Friends, which is an online peer support platform, a bit like Facebook, that you can log in and you can get support from other people that are experiencing similar things. When you're struggling with your mental health, it can be really isolating and it feels like it's just you, but it it really isn't. This affects one in four of us each year. Um, In local communities, we run projects from getting people active through our Get Set To Go programme, whether that's a football session or a gym session all the way through to uh, peer support groups where you can come along, you can find out about mental health problems and just have a tea and a chat. So um, Matty Blair actually went to one of our sessions um, from uh, Doncaster Rovers, mm. popped down to one of our sessions uh, with Doncaster Mind, just not as an ambassador, but, uh, ambassador, just as someone that was curious and found that really helpful. So it really is open to everyone. Sometimes think people think, oh, I'm not unwell enough to get help. And it's really important to say, if, you know, if you are struggling with your mental health, there is help out there. Don't wait until it's too late that's really important so two questions to finish one is how would someone uh, get in touch with mind if they think that that uh, they want to find out more uh, or if they think that they could do with some support the simplest place to get in touch with us is on our website mind.org.uk and all the information and signposts are available from there and if there are people listening who would like to support the work that mine do is there any way that that we could do that we would love the football family to rally behind our EFL um, on your side partnership you may have seen the badges and the pin badges available in all of your club colors go online to our online shop you can buy them there we're doing mind Mind united which is a hike this summer so we're hiking across the the peak district through the night and there's lots of ways that you can um, get involved so come along to our website mind.org.uk and you can find out more there